And so as we were journeying through, as we've been journeying through uh, the book of 1 Samuel, I've, I've been trying to see where where's Mother's Day going to land and which war story are we going to focus on for Mother's Day to encourage the mothers with. And uh, just so happened to land on David and Goliath. And I trust that this message will be encouraging for you moms, but everyone who's here today. Not just as an inspiring story of courage, an inspiring story of faith and, and sacrifice, but rather a story that points us forward to the gospel of Jesus Christ, our greater David, who has fought the giant of sin, death, and hell. And so I've titled this this uh, message, The Battle is the Lord's. The Battle is the Lord's. And this is taken straight from the words of David as he's facing the Goliath. His take and his perspective as he moves forward towards this battle courageously. He makes this declaration, The Battle is the Lord's. But before we dig into 1 Samuel chapter 17, let's look back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, where we have the prayer of Hannah. Hannah was a godly woman who wanted to be a mother, and she experienced the pain of barrenness, and she brought that pain to God in prayer. She brought her request to God in prayer, and, and the, the book starts with this beautiful providential story of this woman named Hannah who does become a mother who prayed and saw God show up and answer her prayer and God gave her a son named Samuel and gave her more children after that but after the Lord blessed her with Samuel she prayed this prophetic prayer and, at the, and I'm just going to quote the very end of it because as I've said in this prayer it sets the stage for the rest of the book there are some prophetic elements that point us for what's going to point us to what's going to happen in the rest of the book. What, what's the narrative that we're going to see unfold in the book of 1 Samuel? And it points us to the bigger redemptive narrative of the scripture. And this is what she says here. She says, He will, speaking of the Lord, He will guard His feet. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut in darkness. Cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So we pick up. The story after chapter 16, when, when David was anointed by Samuel the prophet to become the new king. And the Spirit of God left Saul. We saw Saul, we saw disobedience and a decline in Saul's leadership in the previous chapters. And we see a, a new king emerging, a new king arising courageously, a king that, that is that is going to be a man after God's own heart, one that God has chosen, one, one who God wants 
to lead his people. And this, this David points us to the greater David, Jesus. But notice, notice these words in this prayer. For not by might shall man prevail. Okay, so let's go into 1 Samuel chapter 6, 17, starting in verse 1. And now the Philistines gathered their armies for the battle. And I'm going to summarize some of this text because there are 50 plus verses in here. And for the sake of time, I'm going to uh, skip over a few verses, but we're going to highlight some, some key points. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered. Now notice that the Philistines were gathered for battle and the Israelites were just gathered with Saul. Okay. And they were encamped in the Valley of Elah and drew and drew up in line battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and, the Isra and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze his head on his head, and he was armed with a coat of, of mail, and, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. For he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders, and the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. <laughs> and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shekel bearer went before him, and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. For if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And now David, the son of an Ephrodite of Bethlehem in Judea, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The oldest of the sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle and the names of his three sons who went there to battle were Eliah the firstborn and next to him Abinadab and third Shammah and David was the youngest and the three oldest followed Saul but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem for 40 days the Philistine came forward and he took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and the 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand and see if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Okay. So we're going to stop there. We'll pick up here in next verses. Um, but here's our big idea. 
The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. We're looking at a battle scene here. Okay, then there's a number of battle scenes in the book of 1 Samuel. The battle is the Lord's. He fights for us and he fights through us. And so we must stand in the in his power looking to him for victory. And this is exactly what David did. Now let's look at, uh, here's a picture. Here's a, uh, a modern picture, of, a recent picture of the Valley of Elah. This is in Israel, okay? You can go there and you can see this. And this is where they were gathered, right at this valley. And there were the, the Philistines who had their champion. They had this large giant of a man to lead their battle. And then for 40 days, they, there were the Israelites who were just afraid, afraid to engage, afraid to move forward in the battle. So they're, they're, they're there in this valley, each on uh, the armies on each side. And there's this Goliath uh, of Gath, this giant of a man who is said to be six cubics in a span. So theologians think that he was either, uh, there's, there's some debate on this, o over nine feet tall, or some, some think that he was over seven feet tall. Either way, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big guy, right? If you're, if you're over seven feet tall, or if you're over nine feet tall, that's a pretty big guy. And he had some pretty intimidating armor as well. He was a warrior from his youth. He was trained up for battle. And he was very intimidating. And everyone was afraid, including King Saul, who was taller than all the other Israelites. He was a head and a shoulder above all the other Israelites. He was, he was the tall guy that should have been leading the battle as the king. But he was amongst those who were afraid. Remember, the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. Now, <clears throat> I looked up just what the biggest, tallest person in the world is. And Guinness's Book of Wor World Records um, has that Robert Waldlow was the tallest man recorded in modern history. He was eight feet 11. Eight feet 11. Okay, that's pretty tall. All right. Uh, so he lived, I think, to be about 22 years old. Um, I think he traveled with the uh, the Ringley brothers, Ringling brothers, uh, the circus there. Um, and so, so here's a big guy. So just think, think this big, somewhere around this big. And little David shows up. Remember, David was the runt of the family. He was the youngest. He was small. He was... He was ruddy. Well, he looked handsome. He was. Uh, it says that he was ruddy, which the, the word there is. Uh, it could be translated just a red, either like with red hair or like red skin. Maybe a lot of translations will just say healthy. You know, healthy. He, he had a healthy complex. And so you got young David who shows up to the battle, and he's a he's a shepherd keeping the sheep, and he shows up as a as a son, the son of Jesse, and a servant. He shows up to this battlefield, not dressed in any armor. Uh, he shows up as a, as a son and as a servant just to do what his father sent him to do. Namely, send, go, go deliver some food, right? He was keeping sheep. Now he's a food delivery guy for the family, right? 
And so David left the things in charge, verse 22, he left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and, and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks and the Philistines spoke the same words before as before. And David heard him and the men of Israel and, and when they saw the man, they fled from him and were much afraid. Now here's young David. He shows up. They've been on the, the battlefield waiting for 40 days in fear, afraid, terrified. But David shows up with fresh eyes, with a fresh perspective, just simply doing what his father sent him out to do. Now remember, he had in chapter 16, he had been anointed by Samuel as the new king. As the king and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. But he just continued to serve. He also uh, served with Saul and, and playing music for him. When, when Saul had this distressing spirit come upon him, David would play the, his stringed instrument and that spirit would, would leave. And, and Saul had some music therapy from David. So David was serving in these ways. But here... Is, is this providential timing that God has for David. He shows up as he's been faithful, serving, overlooked by his family, right? Serving for years in obscurity, as we talked about in solitude last year or last, last Sunday. Um, he shows up and the, and the timing is providential, as Matthew Henry says. He says, God's providence brought him to the camp very seasonably. Jesse little thought of sending his son to the army just in that critical juncture. But the wise God orders the time and all the circumstances of actions and affairs so as to serve his design of securing the interest of Israel and advancing the man after his own heart. So David shows up onto the scene. Now we all, we all, we all, we've all read the story. We already know what's going to happen. So I'm trying to take my time and journey through it here. Um, but, but the first thing I want to want to highlight is that David, first of all, faced some opposition from his own brother Eliab. Before he went and faced Goliath, he had some opposition within his own household with with his own brother. And it says, now Eliab, the el his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. He was wanting to know what was going on here. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your hearts. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not a, but a word? And, and he turned away from him. Now, this is interesting. We got some friendly fire happening here. We got his brothers, his oldest brother, giving him some harsh words who've been amongst those who were in fear of this giant, in fear of the battle. And he sees his brother and he's irritated with him. He's frustrated with him. And he declares the intents of his heart to be evil. Now, remember back in chapter 16, 
last week, we looked at what the Lord, the, the main message that we focused on last week is that the Lord looks on the heart, right? God corrected Samuel when he saw, when he went to anoint the new king amongst Jesse's sons, and he saw Eliab, tall, and, and he looked like he, he was the one to be king. The Lord corrected him and said, don't, don't look on his outward appearance. So it wasn't him, wasn't the firstborn, wasn't the nextborn and nextborn. And, and, and Samuel has to ask, are there, do you have any more sons? Is there anybody else that you're missing out here? David was overlooked and, and there, he was out keeping the sheep. And, and this is what the Lord told Samuel. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Here again in chapter 17, this, this message is being re-emphasized. All of Israel is evaluating this big man by externals, right? They're, they're looking at the situation externally from the natural eye. But God sees something different. And David sees something different as he approaches this battle. Matthew Henry says this about the, the family opposition. He says... This conquest of his own passion was more honorable than that of Goliath. This is David in his interaction with his older brother who accuses him of having evil intentions. Who, who to ask him, where's those sheep of yours? Well, are, 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 did you, are you neglecting your responsibilities, right? He's jabbing at him here. Matthew Henry says that this conquest of his own passion was more honorable than that of Goliath. Those who undertake great and public services must not think it strange if they are spoken of, spoken ill of, and opposed by those from whom they expect support and assistance. They must humbly go on with their work in the face of not only their enemies' threats, but of friends' slights and suspicions. Okay? So, so David had to get past, like, he had to get past this, this tension with his brother. He could have just blown up there with his brother, right? It, it could have, it could have got worse there. Um, uh, but, but David, he, he passed the test here. He, he didn't let that affect him. He kept moving forward. And then, and then we see that he had to face the fears and the expectations of Saul. Saul, who was afraid, and when he assessed the situation, he looked on the external appearance, which was the tendency of Saul to focus on external image. And he said, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Saul's afraid for himself, but he's also afraid for David. This is not going to work out good for you. David okay and then when when David explains that he's willing to go and he's taken on a lion and a bear he's he's done battle out there on the field keeping watch over his father's sheep Saul agrees to let him go like okay go for it right but but his, his assistance isn't very much help here 
Because Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. And David was strapped uh, and he strapped and David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Now remember, Saul was a tall guy. He was taller than, than the other Israelites. And David was a short guy. It doesn't make sense to put this bulky, heavy armor on David and send them out into the battle. He hadn't tested that armor and it wasn't custom fit to him. Now, an interesting note here, the Philistines, um, they had they had an advantage uh, when it came to technology, the technology of bronze which was used for making weapons, right? And so they had more of the, the bronze, the metals to make swords and spears and, and armor and those kinds of things. And apparently Saul had some armor and uh, I think Jonathan also had some armor as well. And Saul's thinking, this, this is going to help you, David, right? And, and, and David rejects it because it wasn't through those means... It wasn't through the common means that God was going to give deliverance to David and to the Israelites. All right. There was there was another way that God had. And ultimately, God was going to be the one who would fight the battle, who would give deliverance to the Israelites uh, and take down Goliath. And so notice here that David remembered his past experiences of deliverance in response to Saul. He said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, he took a lamb, he took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And he arose against, and if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. That's just really cool. I, I, I think that that's very impressive here. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, and also look at this. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. This is beautiful. David recognizes that it was the Lord who delivered him. Though David fought and he used his skills and, and no doubt, I'm sure he had lots of time to practice his slingshot skills while he was out in the field, right? He had lots of time to, to, to write songs and sing songs, to pray and, and commune with God as he was on the field. I mean, you can imagine he, he probably wrote Psalm 23 from his experience of watch, watching the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, right? Right? And so, so David uh, says, it's the Lord who has delivered me. And he, he remembered that. God had delivered him in the past some, from some really scary situations. Now, this is important because the Bible over and over calls us to do this when we're facing battles that are before us. Israel was to do this. They were to remember how God delivered them out of Egypt. And every year during the Passover, they were to remember and retell the story of God's great deliverance. 
and how the Lord delivered them out of Egypt. And we, church, we do this every week when we partake of communion. We remember how our greater David, Jesus, has delivered us from the enemy, from Satan's grip, from the powers of darkness, from sin, death, and hell. We've been delivered. And we need to be reminded. We need to remind ourselves. And whatever battle we're facing before us in this life, whatever trial we're facing before us in this life, we need to face it in light of the greatest battle being already won for us through Christ. Amen? Amen. And so David remembered his past experiences of deliverance. He didn't let the opposition of his brother judging him, judging his heart. Only God knows the heart. His brother Eliab presumed to know David's heart. God said, he's a man after my own heart about David, right? He didn't let the fears or the expectations of Saul to put on his armor and to fight in his way, engaging in the battle, hold him back. He put it off. And he moved forward, remembering what God had done for him in the past. Now, as he approaches Goliath, I want to highlight the theology and the faith of David. And, and I think this is important because this really gives us the heart of the story. All right. If we skip over this, we're going to miss the meaning of this. It's the Lord who fights the battle, right? The battle belongs to the Lord. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now notice David is passionate about the glory of God. He is concerned about the name of God being honored. And this battle isn't merely against the Israelites and the Philistines. There is a there is a, um, a, a, a a battle against their gods versus the one true God Yahweh, the God of Israel, and 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 the, the gods of the Philistines are no match for the God of Israel, as we've already seen uh, in in the earlier chapters of First Samuel when when the ark was was brought in to the temple of the, the Philistines gods. Uh, what happened to their, their Dagon, right? He, he fell down, right? And it was just, just a, 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 a pointer to the God of the Bible being greater and being the one true God. And so David's theology, he says, I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies. You're coming against me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Notice, notice who the hero is in this story. It's not David. It's not you. And it's not me. It's the Lord. It's Yahweh. You know, he is, Jesus is the hero of the Bible. All right. And that's important that we get that when we read the Bible. There are some great godly men and women throughout the Bible who inspire our faith, who set godly examples for us to imitate, as Hebrews says to do. 
But we must always remember that the hero of the Bible is Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis 3 says that his heel shall crush the head of the serpent. Right? That's Jesus. And you get to, to Revelation and you see him coming back in power to, to save his people and to bring judgment on those who persist in doing evil. You see, Jesus as the one who's conquered the grave. Jesus as the one who delivers us. He, he is the one that brings salvation. The, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the, the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, and to all, and that, that, listen to this, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Here's what's driving David. He was passionate about the glory of God. He was passionate about the name of God being honored. And God told the Israelites that he was bringing them into the promised land, right? And remember back back in, uh, uh, what is it, Deuteronomy and Numbers, when they saw the large people in the land, they were afraid, right? God had them send out spies and, and, and Joshua and Caleb, they, they saw, like, we could do this, right, with the Lord. And then you had others who were like, no way, they're too big, right? And there was this fearful perspective. And David has this mentality, this theology, God is big enough to take on this giant. And in, and compared to God, Goliath is a dwarf, not a giant. Whether he's nine feet or seven feet. Compared to God, he's no match for Yahweh. He's no match for Jesus. And so David proceeds in, in verse uh, 47. It says, and that all this, and, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not by sword or spear, not by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into his hands. Be aware when we tend to, be aware when you or I tend to put more emphasis on it being about us whether we're reading scripture or whether we're talking about our own struggles, our own obstacles that we face in life, we must find our proper place in God's story. And he's the hero of the story. We are more like the, the cowardly Israelites afraid who need a, a champion to step up and fight for us because we don't have what it takes in and of ourselves to win. And we've all given in to that fear. We've all given in to those passions of the flesh and allowed circumstances in our own internal struggle to dominate. But the good news of the Bible is that God fights for his people and he has fought for his people. And ultimately, this battle points us forward to the cross, to the, to the grave and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But notice that David proceeds and he faces Goliath with both faith and courage. And yes, this is an inspiring story that should inspire faith and courage in each of us. 
David moved forward and he came, uh, the Philistine moved forward and he came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistines said to David, am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Remember, there's, there's, the, there's the battle right there, right? There's, it's more than just the Philistines and the Israelites. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, and we read this earlier, you come, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. It's the, it's the God of the armies of Israel that you have defied. Notice the passion that he has about the name of God being honored. A.W. Pink in his book, The Life of David, says the dominant characteristic of our patriarch was his unfeigned and unsurpassed devotion to God, his cause and his word. The man after God's own heart is the one who is out and out for God putting his honor and glory before all other considerations. Just think about that for a moment. Are you moved like this for the glory and the honor of God's name? When God's name is being dishonored in some way, the, the, the name of Christ being dishonored in some way, are you moved to action, to pray, to witness, to testify, to represent him. David was passionate about the glory of God. And this is what should move us to missions. And that, that's the battle that, that we face, right? And bringing the gospel to people, praying for people and, and pointing people to Jesus. For the glory and the honor of his name. And so the book of Hebrews highlights David. He makes... Uh, the author of Hebrews makes an honorable mention of David amongst the, 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 the men and women of faith in the Bible. This is what it says. It says, what more shall we say? For time would fail, fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, and of David and Samuel and the prophets. Listen to this. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained Promises stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, who were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Several of these descriptions describe David's faith and his action, his genuine faith that he lived out. That is an example to us. That should inspire us. But at the end of chapter Hebrews 11 and, and going into chapter 12, the author of Hebrews points us to Jesus and says we are to look to Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, <laughs> despising the shame. Right? He, he, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus has conquered while we have all these great men and women in the history of scripture and the redemption story that God worked through. He worked through their weakness. 
We should be inspired and encouraged by that. But even more so, we should be uh, uh, encouraged by the, the reality that Christ has conquered for us. Here's a couple of Proverbs uh, that I'm reminded of as we read through this story. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous man runs into it and is safe. David said, I come against you in the name of the Lord. Proverbs uh, 28, 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And so we see David's example of both faith and courage here. C.S. Lewis says this about courage. He says, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of the highest reality. You see, David was a man of substance, a man of character, in contrast to King Saul, who lacked character, who lacked courage, who lacked conviction to do what is right. David had this history with God, and God was shaping in him and forming him on the inside as a man, young man of character, young man of courage. And here he's given the opportunity to shine providentially. And remember, the Spirit of the Lord had come upon him when he was anointed by Samuel, right? It was, it was God who gave him the strength, God who gave him the power to win the battle. And again, he points us to Jesus, our greater David. The Gospels tell us, Luke, Luke 2 tells us, when Jesus' his birth was announced, it's, the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here is our greater David who has come to fight for us. The son of David, the Messiah, the, the everlasting King who came into this world, who was born that he might die in our place. And Jesus isn't just, just a good example to inspire us to live good lives. Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins when he paid for them at the cross. He's taken our place. Yes, he is our example of how we should live a godly life. And Peter says that, but he's so much more than that. He is our the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. He's our, he's our propitiation. He's the one who sacrificed his life for us. Now, when, when David and Goliath were at the battle, kind of the understanding is was, was that if Israel wins with whoever their champion was, then then the, the Philistines would be servants to them. Or if the, the Philistines champion Goliath wins, then the Israelites would be servants to them. And so the, the victory was imputed to the whole rest of the army, so to speak, based on the champion who went forward and fought. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He has stepped into this world. He stepped into the battle he stepped into the valley of the shadow of death and he fought and he laid down his life for us, 
the righteous for the unrighteous. He died in our place and his righteousness is given to us. His victory is given to us in Christ. And so we're fighting, as we were singing earlier, we're fighting a battle that's already been won. We fight from this place of victory. We stand in this victory that Christ has provided for us, doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Hebrews 2 puts it like this. It says that, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The battle is the Lord's. And Jesus has come and he has fought it for us. I'm fighting a battle. You've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. Don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. I'm fighting a battle. You've already won. And so how can we apply this story to our lives? Don't miss the reality that Jesus is the greatest, the greater David who has fought for us. Okay. And be comforted and confident that Christ has brought to you and me victory. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, after he defends the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We get his victory, his righteousness accounted to us. He's our champion. And this is what Paul says We are to stand in him and be strong in him and the power of his might. We are now in Christ, blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We're forgiven. We're redeemed. We're accepted. And Paul, at the end of Ephesians, when he describes the spiritual battle that every Christian is to engage in, that we are to fight, (laughs) though the, the battle is the Lord's, you and I still must fight. Yes. All right. You and I still have a battle to fight. I'm fighting a battle. You've already won, right? Christ has brought the decisive victory over sin, death, and hell, the powers of darkness. He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into His, the kingdom of his beloved son. Paul says this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. See, it's not by our might that man shall prevail, as Hannah said. (laughs) Hannah chapter 2, or 1 Samuel 2 in her prayer. It's not by, man shall not prevail by might. Okay? How many of us are striving in our own strength, trying to move things forward in our lives, and we're experiencing defeat after defeat because we're leaning on our own understanding, we're drawing from our own strength, We're thinking it all depends on us. We think the battle belongs to us rather than 
the Lord. Right? That's that's a that is a crushing, discouraging way to live. But we live in light of the gospel of grace, where He has already conquered for us. He has given us His victory. And he tells us to walk in it, to stand in it. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present evil darkness, against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places. And our weapons are not swords and guns and javelins. They're not weapon, carnal weapons, weapons according to the flesh. Second Corinthians 10 says the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the tearing down of strongholds and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We have been given the sword of the spirit, the word of God to fight with, to fight the lies of the enemy, the fears that we're facing. Saints, we can face our fears in light of the victory that Christ has already won. We don't have to be dominated by the fear of death, the fear of evil, the fear of man, the fear of failure, or whatever obstacle or little giant that you're facing in your life. You can stand in the victory that Christ has already won. You can be comforted, encouraged by the fact that he's taking your place. And you can have confidence in facing whatever you're facing, knowing that he has made you more than a conqueror. God has made you more than a conqueror through him who loved us and gave himself for us. First John 5 says, whoever's born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so God has wired you and I. He's given us victory and he's wired you and I to walk in that victory as his children in this world. Not to give up in fear, not to let our, our fleshly passions, anger, frustration, and friendly, friendly fire within take us out of the battle or keep us from engaging in the battle, not to allow the fears and the expectations that others put on us to hinder us from fighting the battle that he has for us. Amen. If you all would pray with me. Lord, we look to you, the one who has fought for us. We openly confess that we are weak but you are strong and so we look to you